it is my pleasure to welcome back Spec as the presenting sponsor of Fraudology this quarter. Stay tuned for more information and updates on their product capabilities, or click the link in the episode description to request your personal demo of Spec's TrustCloud platform. Welcome to this week's Thursday episode of the Fraudology Podcast, where we dive into the science and study of online fraud from the perspective of an e-commerce fraud fighter. I'm Carice Hendrick. Welcome back to Fraudology. I am here with Robert Kerbeck, and Robert joined me back in March, and I was so excited to have him talk then about his book that he wrote, Ruse, which was all about the most fascinating uh, career uh, that I've read in a long time, uh, his time as a corporate spy, and really at the end of the day, what he calls rusing is social engineering. And like I discussed on Tuesday's episode, at the root of all of these headlines about the MGM hack is really just a 10-minute phone call, and it was social engineering. And so I had to ask Robert to come back, and so grateful that he did and made time for me rather quickly. So Robert, welcome back to Fraudology. Oh, well, thank you for having me. I mean, it's a pretty intense moment in time. You know, we were talking before we went on air here about it's it's like back to the future. You know, who would have thought that the old fashioned social engineering phone call was the future of hacking? <laughs> but clearly it is. Well, yeah. And I think that, you know, even when you were writing your book and there was some parts in it that I felt like maybe you thought were you know, probably the good old days, right? Like that wouldn't, not necessarily the good old days, but you know, that what you did back then, you know, to really breach and get corporate secrets out of, you know, just low level employees in often cases that was kind of gone are the days, right? Because now there's LinkedIn, now there's other things, now there's technology, oh, cyber hacking, but no, that because because everyone's gotten good and invested millions of dollars of well, billions of dollars in the technical side, it goes right back to the weakest link and the path of least resistance, which will always be a human. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, there are so many tools out there now. When I say tools, I'm not talking about technical tools. I'm talking about, you know, good old fashioned research. So I can go on LinkedIn and this is what I would do back in the day. And this is what they're doing today. This is what the scattered spider people did. They go on LinkedIn and they you know, pull up the firm that they're, they're going to try to hack MGM, Caesars, whomever, and they look and they'll do a search by title, employee title. So in this case, they're going to look for, they're going to search for help desk or, you know, computer desk or IT desk, and then a list of people that have that title somewhere on their profile come up. And they're going to, now it's a list of a hundred and some people. And now what they're going to do is they're going to maybe search by level. So they're going to look for a junior analyst. They're going to search for time with the firm. They're going to look for someone that has been with the firm for less than a year, but probably more than a few months because they don't want someone that is so new that is scared to, to, to help. Right. But they're going to look for that person that's in the sweet spot of about six months with the firm, six, nine months with the firm. So they're just getting their feet under them. They don't really know too much, but they know enough to help you. They know enough to reset your password. They know enough to you know tell you enough about the system. And so now you're going to call them, you're going to pose as an executive, it is a big executive who's offsite. Nowadays, you know, I could call up, you know, I could Google any executive and I can find some way to hear their voice, you know, so maybe they spoke at a conference, you know, hi, I'm Rick Jones, I'm the executive vice president at MGM Technology. Well, now I can imitate Rick's voice. You know, so now when I get the IT person on the phone, I can even sound like Rick. Now, the odds are they haven't spoken to Rick, but perhaps they have. If they're in the same department, maybe he spoke at some introductory thing or they were on some call, you know, so I'm going to sound enough like Rick that they're going to go, oh my God, it's really Rick. And of course, I've done a little bit of homework and I'm going to know basic things. I'm going to know Rick's cell phone number. I'm going to know the name of Rick's assistant. You know, I'm going to know Rick's assistant's cell phone. Like I'm going to have these basic things so that if someone does try to verify me in that that moment, they're going to go, oh, Rick, look, I'm sorry. I, I don't mean to be difficult. I really want to help you. I know you're off site. I know you're at the airport. I know you're on the airplane. I know you're, you know, whatever and having technical difficulties, but um, can you just verify your cell phone number? I want to be safe. And then of course I'm going to say, wow, you know what? I'm so impressed. You are really phenomenal. That is exactly what I teach people to do. Let me give you my cell. And they go, okay, 
Rick, I, I, Mr. Jones, I'm so sorry to have done that, but thanks for verifying it. How can I help you? Now they will tell you anything and everything you want to know because you simply gave them a piece of information that almost anyone can find on the internet. That's how easy social engineering is. I'm sorry, folks. I wish I could tell you it was more complicated than that, but that's how easy it is for me to penetrate your multi-billion dollar firm and learn anything that I want to know. Anything. And you're seeing the costs of that for MGM. You know, we talked about it before. You know, I saw something that said $8 million a day. You saw something that said $40 million a day. However you slice it, you're talking tens, most likely hundreds of millions of dollars in real costs. And then, of course, we also talked about the reputational cost because it's so embarrassing for MGM. They're losing customers. They've got frustrated customers. Um, so basically, it is as bad a situation as a company could have. And yet firms spend, I'm not going to say almost nothing. I'm going to say they spend nothing on social engineering prevention. Yeah. Zero, zero dollars. If they do spend anything, it's, you know, a little bit here and there to maybe have a couple videos play as part of a bigger <laughs> course or something, right? But. And again, on the, t and more, much more on the technical side, like, hey, if you get a funny email, you know, it, you know, they've done a really good job with the phishing, but of course the vishing, which is using voice calls, right, to scam or dupe or what I like to call ruse. Um, you know, it's just, it is just so easy. It is just so easy. And there are ways to prevent it. There are ways to mitigate it. There are ways to stop it. But firms have been completely asleep at the wheel at how the top hackers in the world, Scattered Spider and groups like that, are starting almost every hack and every ransomware attack. They're always starting with social engineering. Right. Absolutely. And the purpose of that, and from what we can piece together from, you know, the articles that are out so far, and obviously there will be so many after action reports, but you know, I went down several rabbit holes yesterday as far as, you know, looking up white papers on Scattered Spiders MO way before MGM and figuring all that out. And they're doing exactly what you say, right? They're calling the help desk. Oftentimes they are trying to find their target you know, the target person at the help desk. Uh, but other times they'll just take the roll of the dice. I think that more often than not, though, for this type of thing, they're, you know, looking up, they probably know what shift, you know, hey, what what time does so-and-so, you know, he really helped me last time. What time does he work? Okay, great. I'll call back that type of thing, I'm sure. And you know, they don't want to play roulette with the phone numbers. Um, that wasn't meant to be a casino pun, but there we go. Um, <laughs> but well done, well done. <laughs> not intended. Um, but you know, they'll often do that. And then they'll call and ask for something that just seems so simple, right? If someone at a call center doesn't understand how important it is to not provide the one-time password for someone or, you know, hey, I was you know, on the road and I've got this and I, I just need you to help me log in. Or can you tell me what that number is? You know, can you log in for me and then let me know what that number is? Well, now they've got the one-time password for that executive, you know, within the company. They now can log in as that executive and the, you know, the technical uh, piece, uh, not that multi-factor authentication is that foolproof, obviously, but it's something that often keeps hackers out, but because they are good at picking up the phone and have no fear and they have confidence, then they're able to get that one-time password for that executive. They're able to log into the system as that executive, and then they're able to go straight to the source. And within NGM, they went straight to the Active Directory, which is exactly where everyone's username and password is and you know being able to authenticate it so now they can lock that down and encrypt it to a point where MGM can't access that now no one can log in anywhere whether that's their you know into their hotel key their you know anything right and so um it really does a lot of damage and it's they could not have done all of this damage from a technical perspective if it wasn't for calling the help desk and getting the access that they needed. Absolutely. And, you know, there are, you know, I always say, you know, like my uh, my technical skills, you know, like C plus at best. And there's a pun for you. But, you know, obviously my social engineering schools, you know, I got to say A plus. Oh, and so yeah. I'm hacking people, I'm not hacking the system. And indeed, I might actually, in, if I were doing a ruse right now, and if I were, you know, working with Scattered Spider, you know, my ruse might even be, hey, this is, uh, you know, Rick Jones, vice president of this or executive vice president of that. And, you know, I got to be honest with you, I'm not that good with systems. 
And that's why I've lost my password. That's why I've gotten locked out. That's why I can't figure this thing out. Hey, help desk person, can you help me out? And so now I'm pretending I'm the proverbial five-year-old and I've got this help desk person. It's like, oh my God, this poor executive. Because look, there are plenty of people out there that are not that great at technology. I was just going to say that. You probably wouldn't be the first executive that called them with, like that in the last week, right? Like, especially you know, in their 50s, 60s. Exactly. Right? And that's their job. So, you know, there's this thing, it's a weird effect. It's called the Benjamin Franklin effect where, you know, if I do you a favor, generally you think I do you a favor, so you do me a favor. And Benjamin Franklin effect is the di is different is that once you've done me a favor, you're actually more likely to do me another favor and another favor and another favor, even though I'm not doing anything for you. And so what we would do in our rusing calls when we were getting, you know, information on firms and uh, their secret plans, their strategies, their products, their pricing, their clients, all of this incredibly valuable corporate information, we would be using that to our advantage. So we would be basically, you know, portraying ourselves as top level executives who were jammed up, who were in a crisis, who had a problem. And so now young person, you are going to save the day. And boy, is this going to be good for your career? Boy, is this going to help you out? Because I'm going to tell you, I'm terrible with the technology. I am really frustrated. I got all these big things on my plate and you're going to get me back into my system, back into my email. Thank you so much. I'm going to remember this, right? And so now you got this kid, young person who's with the firm for six months and they're like, oh my God, you know, I, I dropped out of college. I didn't want to have $150,000 in student loan debt. I finally got a job with a good company. And now I got the executive vice president of, you know, audit or the executive vice president of marketing or, you know, whoever you're saying you are. And they're like, man, this guy, he's going to be in my corner and I'm going to have somebody big up and, oh, this is great. Sure, Rick, I'll, whatever you need, I will help you with. And don't worry, don't feel embarrassed. Ask me any question you want. There's, there are no dumb questions now, Mr. Jones. So now you can ask them anything, even highly suspicious questions that somebody else would go, wait a second, why is the head of audit or head of marketing who can't get their email going, why are they asking this about our server? Hmm. The person is not even thinking that now because you've put them to sleep because they feel like they're doing their good deed for the day, right? And that's kind of the Benjamin Franklin effect. Well, and you're hitting the nail on, you know, the head of something else that I know I've been saying for a long time, you've been saying it too, is that, you know, oftentimes the lowest paid employees within a company are the weakest link and they have the keys to the kingdom. You may not think that they do, but if you don't have a fraud or cybersecurity team that is thinking about, oh, well, all they need is this magic number that all they need is this to access or that to access. They just need the one-time password. They already have the email address. They've already cracked the password. Okay. These are the three ways that they can get the one-time password. This group scattered spiders also really enjoys SIM swapping, which is way too simple. And that's more, you know, at the phone companies at the telcos, right? Of, oh, I just got a new phone, I need to transfer my phone number over. And that's also a form of social engineering. Well, now you can get, you know, now that you have that person's phone number on your phone, you're getting all of their text messages and emails to you. Now that one time password comes through on your phone, you can use it that way. But both all these ways, because they're fragmented pieces of information, and no one in the company has said, wait, that could be powerful if it was mixed with this and this, and especially if it was mixed with information that anyone can get, right? And thinking about how you can be attacked, and then okay, we really need to get it. We really need to train and and also show just the help desk and IT people just how important they are in the company, show appreciation and say, because you guys are at the ground level, we know how important it is and we need you to understand that under no circumstances do you do this, this or this. And no one, you know, within these orgs will be, you know, higher up than this will be calling you. Instead, they'll have a separate number, you know, or something like that where you're really proactively looking at that and training them to show appreciation or you're saying, hey, if you stop one of these, you don't take a phone call, you don't provide this information, we'll give you a bonus, whatever that is. Then all of a sudden, you're training them to help lock up the fortress rather than just opening up the side door. 
Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, they're the front line of defense. And so if you're ignoring your front line of defense, well, you, you're, <laughs> you know, you're clearly, you're immediately losing. You're, you've already lost the first battle, right? And then, and then obviously in, in this analogy, you know, once hackers get into your systems, it's, you know, it's, you're not going to win that war, right? Now, now it's a question of whether, you know, now it's a question of, ha- you know, whether you're going to pay up or not. And I guess we don't know quite yet whether Scattered Spider, you know, got paid or, or didn't get paid. I mean, they wouldn't admit it, right? Like, that's the problem is that, you know, like, there's a rumor that, you know, Caesar, a fairly founded rumor that Caesars paid $15 million ransom, but Caesars is going to not comment on that because they don't want more people to try to infiltrate their system for ransomware, knowing that they'll pay them. And then same with MGM and all of that. And what they compromised on the Caesars front was a lot more behind the scenes. So the people who were at Caesars hotels or using, you know, their website to book or anything like that probably wouldn't notice. Whereas with an MGM, it was really the, the center hub. And so it impacted everything else. And then once they realized there was a breach, they shut down a lot of other systems. So then it was, you know, hard to know. And um, yeah, it's because those customers were having the impact that we even know about it. So we won't know either way, but chances are, I'm sure money has changed hands, but that's just my complete and total guess. It's not founded on anything. Yeah. Well, look, I, I mean, it it makes sense because if, I mean, especially the casino business, it's like, look, you know, you know, the casinos historically have not been the most up and up in terms of, you know, like whether the mafia was running them or, you know, all of that stuff. So you would think that those individuals would know that there's a time and a place that you just pay the price that you pay the price and you live, you know, to fight another day or you live to make money another day um, because the downside risk is just too great. So I think that's what happened. But, um, you know, one of the, the most fascinating things is is we were talking about this earlier. And I think it's the idea that you've got young people in America today that, you know, where are they going for jobs and where are they going for good paying jobs? And so, you know, I'm imagining that the scattered spider people, because, you know, this group clearly because of their facility with English speaking are either based here or based in Canada or based somewhere in Europe where they're able to speak English with either no accent or a minimal accent. And so, you know, I'm imagining, you know, that maybe some of these people are are quite bright and quite, uh, you know, uh, you know, talented, but maybe didn't like the idea of going to university and graduating with $100,000 in debt and didn't want to start at, at that low paying, you know, minimum wage job, hoping to work their way up. And they said, you know what, I'm really good at this. And I'm, and I'm going to find a way to utilize these skills to my advantage. And they're rationalizing it much like I did back in my day when I was corporate spying is like, you know what, Okay, so I'm stealing secrets from Goldman Sachs or I'm stealing secrets from Google, like boo-hoo for Google, boo-hoo for Goldman Sachs, right? And I'm sure that, and again, that's not to say that's right. That was my rationalization when I was a spy back in the day. But I'm sure that the people in Scattered Spider, they're going like, oh, like, I'm really going to feel sorry for MGM. Like, you know, those guys are making so much money. They're not paying their people properly. They're certainly not paying the people in the IT desk properly. And so, you know what? We're going to get our pound of flesh from them. And again, not saying it's right, but for sure, I bet you there are a lot of young people out there that are going like going, yeah, way to go. You know, you know, get the man, right? You know, corporate America, you know, and we were talking before about the strikes in Hollywood, you know, the writer strike, the actor strike, yeah. and, you know, wherever you come down on that, you know, most writers make hardly any money. Most actors make hardly any money. Yeah, Jennifer Aniston makes $30 million or whatever she makes. But most, you know, 98% of those performers and those writers make next to nothing. And it's the same thing in corporate America, right? 98% of workers make next to nothing. And then you've got these CEOs making astronomical amounts of money. So you can understand if you're a smart young person, maybe you don't want to be one of the 98% of the people that is making hardly any money. And so you go, hey, you know what? I got some skills here. I'm going to see if I can make these pay off so that I'm making some of that 2% money. Absolutely. And because of groups like or encrypted apps like Telegram and Discord, we've seen those all the time since COVID because it was relatively okay. It was very easy to 
you know, say that you were someone else and uh, file for PPP loans or unemployment or those type of things, you know, within the US and then the UK and EU and other countries had similar COVID relief funds. The government made a calculated, well, I don't know if it was, I don't know how calculated it was at the time, but they made a risk, you know, risky decision to say, we just want to make sure that we get this money out to people who need it as fast as possible. So we're just going to take out anything that tries to verify their identity. Because of all of that, these guys cut their teeth when they were 15, 16, home from school on Zoom school, maybe a couple hours a day and, you know, whatever, on figuring out how to, you know, be have five grand a week or 20 grand a week put in their bank accounts. We see, and now that that door is closed, well, now those skills that they had to use to do that, whether it was calling unemployment and checking on their benefits or, you know, whatever else it was, can be used in so many different ways. And we're seeing that throughout all different areas of financial crime, whether it's online, cyber, etc. And it is a lot more on the less technical side. And the truth is the technical hackers, the best ones in the world, they're in Russia, they're in China. So they can do that part. Ransomware is primarily, you know, China and Russia, you know, their game, but they can't pick up the phone as easy as you said, right? And just sound like Rick Jones or whoever this, you know, made up executive is. And so they're hiring these younger guys and these guys, because they played video games when they were kids, right? Because they've seen the economy and they've seen their parents not have decent jobs anymore, be able to be in middle-class America, you know, even though their parents are working 60 hours a week, they don't care. They say that stuff all the time. Like, oh, I'm just, you know, taking it from these guys or that company has plenty. And that's not exactly how it works because most of the time it's not the CEO who's, you know, getting their money docked because of fraud or cybersecurity. It's everyone else's pay. You know, you don't get your bonus this year. You don't get a promotion because, you know, we can't afford raises this year whatever. Yeah. Or the, you know, the company lays off, you know, 10% of their work staff, you know, but the employee, but the CEO still got a check for $29 million, right? Exactly. And so this is one of the downsides. And again, obviously we're not, you know, endorsing it or saying it's okay, but this is what happens. You know, there are obviously for every action, there's going to be a reaction. And this is one of those. And these kids are getting younger and younger. I mean, the amount of money they're bringing in is absolutely insane in so many different scams, not just this, but, you know, just this group alone in less than two years have taken credit for over a hundred different types of, you know, cybersecurity data breaches that have put giant telcos and other companies to their knees. And they're targeting these companies because they know that the longer they have downtime, the more expensive it is, right? Any casino that has even an hour of downtime is losing money. So they know they're going to want to pay their ransom as soon as possible. And yeah, so absolutely, they're trying to, you know, you've got kind of like the tale of two cities in a way, right? You've got the young kid at the IT help desk who's trying to earn money the right way and trying to, you know, please this made up executive and, and do whatever they need to to get up the ranks. And then you've got this other young kid that's on the other end of the phone saying whatever they have to, to be able to give their buddies or, you know, the other group of hackers. Uh, in this case, it was um, ALF, Z-A-L-P-H-V, uh, and then, or Black Cat, um, access to the server. So, you know, both ways are kind of impacted by the way things are now, but just taking different paths. Yeah. Well, you know, when we started corporate spying back in the day, I was um, a young actor and I need, I just needed a survival job. So we're talking, you know, early nineties. So I needed a survival job. A buddy had this job. He mentioned something about it very briefly. And then he shut up right away as if he'd been told, don't ever tell anybody what you're doing. And so I begged him, I was like, dude, you know, I'm broke. I need a job. So he got me an interview with this woman. And of course I learned, you know, she had this small secretive spying firm, um, spying on the largest companies in the world. She only hired actors because we could do characters. We could create voices. We could do accents. Yeah, this is Gerhard calling from the office in Frankfurt, Germany. We have the European Union regulators here and we need some information from the States. And the person the other end of the phone would be doing what you're doing right now. They'd be smiling. They'd be, oh my God, I got this German guy from the, from the Frankfurt office. Or if, or if it was the London office, we'd have a British accent. If it was an office in Dublin, we'd do an Irish accent, right? Because corporations are what? They're global. They have offices all over the world, you know? And so now you get this funny sounding German guy on the phone. Maybe you look him up and you see there really is a Gerhard who runs compliance for Europe or he runs, uh, you know, whatever he does, but he's real, right? 
So they're like, oh my God, what are the odds that somebody is making up a German accent calling me to get it? Nobody's <laughs> going to think that, right? And so now they're going to help you, right? And so it's the same thing that Scattered Spider is utilizing, is they're utilizing that thing that people are taught in corporate America, which is to be a good teammate, you know, it's part of the culture, you know, and especially if it's an executive, boy, you got to go all out to help them. And of course, these this this thing that is ingrained in corporate America is the exact thing that social engineers or what I call rusers are utilizing to take advantage. And so unless corporations begin to, okay, how do we walk that back? How do we how do we retrain our employees that Okay, we, we want to have a culture where we're helping people and we certainly want to help our executives when there is a crisis and a problem because those things do occur. But how do we safeguard our information, especially in these phone conversations with, you know, inexperienced, young people that are new with the firm? But look, I'm here to tell you when I was doing my corporate spying, I went right to senior level executives, you know, and so even senior level executives can fall prey to the social engineering. It's not just young, inexperienced people. So firms have to do a better job overall of creating an atmosphere where you understand these things are happening, where you understand these calls are extremely well done. I'm telling you, I can imitate, maybe not your voice, but I can imitate most voices, after listening to them for 30 seconds, I can do a pretty good imitation of your voice. I met a compliance guy once, uh, works for a major company in the Middle East, a subsidiary of a major American company. He runs compliance for all of the Middle East, met him, and he had this funny laugh, and he had this little like hitch in his voice, and I did the laugh and the hitch and imitated him instantly, and I said, I could call anybody and pretend I was you, and what are they not going to tell the regional head of compliance for the Middle East for a major firm. They're going to tell that guy anything. So until firms know that there are people like me or like I used to be out there and they go, okay, look, these are very sophisticated social engineering or, you know, again, what I call rusing calls, very sophisticated, very advanced. People are going to have accents. People are going to pretend to be executives. They're going to sound like the real executive. They're going to have information like the executive's assistant, the executive's cell phone number, that you know, all of this stuff. But now you have to verify them. And here's the system we're going to institute that is the verification system so that we can ascertain that people are actually who they say they are. Mm -hmm. That's what has to happen. Virology is now brought to you by Sardine. So what is Sardine? I mean, other than a small oily fish in the herring family, Sardine is a fraud tech platform that was ultimately built by fraud fighters for fellow fraud fighters with the features that they wanted in a fraud provider when they worked for companies within financial services, e-commerce, digital banking, and consumer lending. They're a team who geeks out on the same minute data that indicate a fraud pattern or anomaly as we do, and they run investigations every day. Sardine's product is even measured with the same KPIs as you probably are. More specifically, Sardine has combined more than 30 data providers into one tool for you. Benchmarked for performance into a single dashboard and API that can be used for KYC, AML, and payment fraud detection. But crucially, they also allow Sardine customers to use their own data, to access their own data, as well as the results from all data providers they work with and the features Sardine has created as they, their customers, need to use them. There's no more mysterious black box that calculates the risk of new accounts, logins, or transactions and magically turns them into a score that was most likely based on attributes that look risky to other business models. For some clients, they use Sardines as their full stack for all account onboarding, transaction monitoring, case management, etc. Others use them as a sophisticated data provider. Basically, Sardine fits to you rather than vice versa. So if you want to see for yourself that the product you've always wanted finally exists, you can book a demo at www.sardine.ai or by clicking the link in the show notes for today's episode. A hundred percent. And I think that first it starts with education, right? And that's a big reason why of, you know, all the people in social engineering that I know of, I wanted you, know, you to come back and talk about this because you know more than anyone that the largest companies in the world are some of the most susceptible to this because you've done it, 
right? A lot of times there's some hubris. Look, they have offices all over the world. All it takes is one person in one far-flung satellite office. And again, because of LinkedIn now, we can find these people. We can find these individuals in these far-flung offices. We can find the person, like I said earlier, who's six months with the firm, who's going to be vulnerable to a highly sophisticated social engineer. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, and, you know, we might be able to see where they graduated. And so we might be able to go, hey, I see you're a Georgia Bulldog. I went to Georgia, too. And now I graduated in, you know, 97. So I'm a little bit older than you. Ha ha ha. Which is why I need help with right <laughs> technology. Right. <laughs> so now I've gone to your university. So you're like, oh, my God. Right. So you're using all of these pieces of information that we can glean from social media accounts, LinkedIn, Instagram, you know. Twitter, Facebook, whatever. And we're using that to, again, you know, I I think the best social engineers, they're not picking up the phone and making a phone call. No, 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 no. Right. They're doing a surprising amount of research on what we call in Scamville, the mark, right? The mark, the dupe. We're going to research who is the perfect dupe. And when we get that research and we find that person on the IT desk and we find that they're six months there and we see their LinkedIn profile, we see where they went to school or maybe they didn't go to school, what city they live in, all of that information now we're going to utilize in a highly sophisticated yet quite simple phone call to get you to do all these things that are going to be catastrophic for your corporation. Well, and you mentioned also, and I just think it's important to highlight that while the most common or maybe easiest is to target a help desk or, you know, IT help desk in in this case, it's almost just as easy to target the highest people in the company because they also aren't thinking about security. They have 800 different things to do. And oftentimes they aren't, you know, in the know for that. And so they're just doing 800 different things a minute. And I I mean, I could tell several stories of, you know, fraudsters that have been told, absolutely, no, you cannot. We know that you're using a stolen credit card to make a purchase of a $10,000 item here, right? We're not going to let you do business. But they'll reach the CEO and say, you know, I'm of a minority or I'm this or that. And I was discriminated against against your company. And so because of that, you know, I'm about to go tell the press about it. Well, now you've got a CEO that's like, I don't care if they're going to steal a $10,000 handbag. The damage they could do by saying that we're profiling them in the news is so much. So give them whatever they want, like just those type of things. And same with, you know, so it's almost like you're skipping the middle and, and the people who are really, you know, know the most and know better. And you're either going to the very top or you're going to the, you know, the bottom and trying to get through there. And so, you know, when you would be uh, targeting somebody that was higher up in the company, what would that look like? What would, what would one of those calls be like, you know, similar to, you know, kind of how you demonstrate what to a lower level? Yeah. Great question. So, you know, what I would do is I would go bro to bro. So I would pick my target and I would make sure that they were one level below me in the corporate hierarchy. So if they were a vice president, I'd be a senior vice president. If they were a senior vice president, I'd be an executive vice president. And I would make sure that I was picking someone, obviously they was from a different, based in a different city because I didn't want someone that, even though I'm imitating their voice, you know, if it's somebody that they really know well. They just saw you down the hall in a meeting room 10 minutes yeah, ago. That's probably, that's probably not going to fly, right? That's probably not going to fly. So I'm going to pick somebody, you know, if they're in the Chicago office, I'm going to pick somebody that's in the Miami office or, or even better, if they're in the Chicago office, I'm going to be in the, from the Frankfurt office or the London office. And then I'm going to use the accent to throw them off. Cause again, nobody's thinking that this social engineer is putting on a British accent or a German accent or an Irish accent, right? It's just, it's just ludicrous. Nobody's going to believe that. So, so now you've got- Well, and they don't think that the information that they have have value, right? They don't think that there's anyone, I think that's a very big point is that, you know, they aren't thinking about how that little piece of information can be used, whether it's, you know, to be handed off to hackers or whether it's to be handed off to their biggest competition and their competitors to tell them what the next product release is going to be. Correct. And so now I'm going bro to bro. I've got this guy in Chicago on the line. He's buying everything I'm selling. And here's the fascinating thing. Even if this executive in Chicago cannot help me, guess what? Because he believes I am who I say I am. And because we're on the same team and he's got to help me because we're all part of the same team and I'm a level above him. Guess what he does? He says, Hey, Gerhardt, 
you know, you know, well, now I'm saying I'm the guy in Frankfurt. Hey, Gerhardt, I'm so sorry. I don't know the answer to that. But you know what? I know who does. And I say, oh, sehr gut. Vielen Dank. And I, then I ask him, I say, hey, will you do me a favor? Will you call that person right now and tell them I'm on the line, tell them I need this, and then transfer me over? No problem, Gerhard. Hold on one second. Let me get them on the line. I'll, then I'll transfer you over. I'll, so in other words, now I've made this person almost an, an internal mole for me. Now, they don't know they're a mole, but because they believe I'm inside, but they don't have the information that I want. They don't know, but they know who knows. And now they're going to call that person to go, hey, I got Gerhardt in Frankfurt on the line. He's really jammed up. He's got a question. He's a great guy. His accent's a little thick, but but he's really funny. Um, do me a favor and help him out. I can't tell you how many times I would call someone and use this ruse and the person that I was calling did not have the information that I wanted. They did not know, but then they vouched for me with someone who did. And then I got the information. So I literally had somebody internally verify me. How about that? That's exactly like what technical hackers do, right? They're able to get into one network and then use that one network to vouch for them to get into the next network and go further down into, you know, where the, the crown jewels are, so to speak. And that's exactly the same thing. But in this case, it's, you know, hacking people. And to me, I think the biggest thing that we both want to get a, give everyone listening to know is that it is preventable, but it's also like, A, I think it's important to say this is happening at your company and it will happen. I think the fact that so many people think it's, eh, you know, it happens to other companies that happen, that's, we're not gonna have to worry about that. Or, oh, well, we have this, you know, we have this vendor that provides us with this, so we're good. They think they're fine. Well, they're not. And, you know, you've been doing it for years and a lot of these same companies that you were extracting secrets from, a lot of them never knew that you extracted them from them. So they never knew, okay, now we need to do this training. So now they're getting, you know, hit by all these things. And then the other thing they need to know is, well, how is it preventable? Because it is preventable, but we just you have to be able to first acknowledge it can and will happen before you will do anything to do that. And so, you know, I know that you've provided some great corporate trainings. And, and to me, I think that you're such a good person for that because, you know, especially being someone who started out in customer service and a help desk, I know that if I didn't care about fraud and cybersecurity, I wouldn't want to sit and listen to someone, you know, talk about the technical side or just talk about don't do this, don't do that. But you have such a good story. You've written a great book. You have, you know, great inflection. You're a good performer. You tell good stories those people are going to be listening and they're going to be, okay, this is why we have this policy. I don't need to know how important it is not to, or I don't need to know what can be done if I give someone the one-time password code, but I do need to know that like, that it is my job to guard this with my life. What other advice do you have for companies who are thinking, oh, well, this is a good opportunity to remind our bosses that this can happen to anyone and try to get them to care too? Yeah, well, well, thank you for the kind words. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, look, you know, uh, most of the stories that I have of the rusing that I utilize are pretty darn funny. They really are hilarious. Uh, the shenanigans, uh, the ploy, we call them ploys, you know, the ruses, ploys. You know, we had the inside ploy. We had the compliance ploy. We had the dropping the grapefruit ploy, right? And these are all different stories that would get people on the inside to tell you things that they should never, ever tell you, right? And so, yeah, it is funny. It is, you know, I'm not going to say it's a comedy show because it's not a comedy show, but people that hear this stuff, they are laughing, they are smiling. So you're bringing people in, you're engaging people. And so people are much more invested, you know, as opposed to, you know, kind of a uh, textbooky, you know, if A happens, then you got to do B, B happens, you got to do C, you know, it's like people don't, you know what I mean? It, it's just not what gets into people's brains, you know? You don't remember it that way. That's especially not in the world of YouTube and TikTok and all of that. No, we need, you know, the way, the best way to educate people these days is with, you know, good perform trainers and performers who can tell the stories and say, you know, this is why this can't happen because one time this, you know, happened and wow, oh my gosh, well, now I know why that's important. You know, it's not just you're bringing in an entertainer to your company. It's like, 
kind of joked before we were recording that it's kind of like, you know, what I used to call my daughter, I used to say my daughter was in the Blue's Clues generation, you know, that she would sit in front of Blue's Clues for two hours. And now she's, you know, almost 20. But you know, she'd sit in front of Blue's Clues for a couple hours and not realize that she was learning her alphabet, right? Like, but she would because it was fun. And that's the same kind of thing as being able because they're more likely to remember the things that have a story that's going to get past all the other things in the world that are flying at them, you know, at 100 miles an hour. Yeah. And look, I said it in my book, and I I still can't believe, couldn't believe, don't believe that corporations weren't getting what I was saying, which was social engineering is the future of hacking. That's what I've been saying. Social, you know, and it's kind of hilarious because, you know, we can, you know, talk about, you know, Kevin Mitnick, who was kind of the, the, you know, theoretically the the original social engineer. And Kevin is in my book at a certain point. And uh, and God rest his soul because Kevin passed recently. And, you know, and Kevin, if he were here, and of course, Kevin didn't die that long ago. So I'm sure he was saying the same thing too, which is social engineering is where it's at. It's where the, it's the go-to technique for hacking today. And so if your corporation doesn't know that, and most corporations don't, then man, I don't know who's running IT for you. I don't know who your chief information security officer is. I don't know who your chief compliance officer is because they need to go. Because if firms are not looking at the social engineering, doing penetration on the social engineering, like literally saying, Robert, we want you to call us up and we want to know what you can find out. And I'm going to go, mm, okay, give me, give me 45 minutes and I'll come back to you. And then I come back to them in 45 minutes. And make sure minutes. that you sign this form saying you're not going to sue me. That's very important. <laughs> yeah, yes, of course. Of course. And then I, I come back to them and I go, oh, hey, how about this? How about a list of uh, uh, here are all the bonuses your executives received last year? You know, you know, and it's a variety of information. Okay, here is the password for blah, 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 blah. Here is, oh, here is the release for your new product. Here are the contracts that you're about to sign. And these are what you're going to get paid for these contracts, which theoretically, if that information went to your competitor, your competitor could underbid you on those contracts, right? All kinds of information, you know, because I was more from the corporate spying end, you know, back in my day, there weren't ransomware attacks. But if I were doing social engineering today, I'm sorry to say, I would be part of Scattered Spider. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, they might they might think you're too old, but I would say that, no, you have a lot to teach them. So that's why I'm grateful you're on this side of the, you know, of the fence for sure. And that's, you know, that's really what I want to make sure that we hammer home is not only is it possible and it will happen, especially not just by Scattered Spider, but now there's all these other, you know, kids in their mother's basement or, you know, maybe not, right? Maybe we're just putting them there. Maybe they're kids that are in a penthouse, right? That um, you're looking at this going, oh, wow, it was that easy. Like 10 minute call, you know, oh, I read that headline, 10 minute call to an IT help desk, got them, you know, millions of dollars. Shoot, I can do that. And now more and more, it's going to keep happening. And more and more companies are investing so much money on the IT infrastructure side. And that's important. But if you're doing that and you're not training anyone who picks up a phone call, it, it has no value. You might as well just be not investing that either, right? Look, and, and I'm now I'm going to get mad. Now I'm going to get really mad. Stop investing in the technology side of... Ha- Stop. You've spent enough money on it. You've done it. You've got it pretty much covered, okay? You did it. Way to go. Congratulations. But you forgot this whole other side of the equation and you're spending nothing on that. Zero. And by the way, even if you were to spend money on it, because it's the human thing, it just involves training and education. It's a fraction of the cost of the technology costs. Oh my gosh, right? I know. A fraction, right. And just because it's a fraction doesn't mean it's as valuable at all. In fact, a lot of times it's more valuable. And I think it also comes down to believing that the people on your front lines have value, right? Like if you're if you're constantly think, saying, well, how you know, how much less can we pay them? Like how much can we, you know, how much lease can we pay these guys or can we offshore them or can we, you know, outsource them to a third party or whatever else? Then you are absolutely devaluing how much impact they have on your company for the good. You know, how many times have we had a bad customer service experience and are like, I'm not shopping with that company again because clearly they don't think it's worth investing in their people to have a smile on their face or, you know, understand what I'm saying. But then there's other times where... 
well, if we had appreciation for, wow, we get that they are important and they're our front lines, we also need to invest in their education and their training so that they can protect us. It all goes hand in hand, right? You can't think that this group of employees isn't valuable and then still invest in them and expect them to protect your company. So it has to, you have to be able to do both. And, and check this out. You know, we're talking about MGM, okay? We're talking about, oh, people, you know, they couldn't access ATM, so they couldn't gamble as much, or they couldn't get into their hotel room, or they couldn't, you know, use the elevator. Okay, very, it's a drag. It's But now, and this is a true story, hospital, yeah, regional oh, yeah. hospital that I was involved with that basically, social. they got social engineering, the exact same thing, exact same thing as the MGM hack. They couldn't do surgeries. They couldn't schedule appointments for patients. This was a hospital, and it was small, you know, they had a number of, you know, hospitals. I think they had like six, six hospitals in the Southern California area. They couldn't book an appointment for 10 days. They couldn't do anything for a patient for 10 days. Now you're having people whose health is impacted, whose potentially their lives are impacted. So, you know, it's not just, oh yeah, it was a little inconvenient. You know, our systems went down or, you know, it's, it's literally lives can be impacted. And, and I think, you know, in, in this scenario with this, this hospital, you know, it was, you know, it was just terrible. And again, it was the exact same story. It was a low level employee that released, you know, information, helped with resetting a password, enabled the hackers to, 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 to get past the first line of defense, get into the systems, shut it down, you know, and there you go. Yeah, it's a really good point. And it really, you know, hits home as well, right? That it's not just, we're not just talking about, you know, keeping the rich richer. It's, you know, life and death in a lot of cases. And hospitals, as well as, you know, telephone companies and casinos all have, you know, a few things in common to the hacker where they know that the people who are at the top are going to be motivated to pay quickly because they know that there's going to be impact if they can't access their systems. And more and more companies are all going automated and digital. And so there's so much more dependence on that. And it's just this perfect storm. And you also bring up one other point I just want to hammer on as far as it's not just call centers, right? It's anyone who's picking up the phone internally, you know, a phone call, right? It's, it doesn't have to just be a call center. And by the way, you know, I would know, and you know, nowadays, cause we can find people's cell phone numbers. So, you know, you call somebody on their cell phone, you use call spoofing to have your phone number come up as whatever number you think based on the research you've done is going to make people believe the story that you're telling. And so now you're getting somebody on their cell phone, you know, maybe they're, you know, they're jogging, maybe they're driving, maybe they're, uh, you know, dropping their kids off at school. So they're a little discombobulated. And so again, they're going to be less likely if you're good to, you know, ask you a lot of questions to, you know, to, you know, their, their, their guard is down because you're getting them usually in this day and age out of the office. Right. And so it enables you to take advantage of that and get people, you know, again, to do things that they might not do if they were sitting at a desk and they were surrounded by other employees and somebody else could hear them on the phone and go, Hey, wait, hold on for a second. What are you doing? What are you telling? And then all of a sudden they go, Oh, Oh, you know, which back in the day that would happen a lot. I would be on the phone with somebody. They would be giving me information. I'd hear somebody in the background kind of questioning what they were doing and then they would stop. Right. Well, we don't have that very often anymore, right? Because people- Especially as people work from home too. Exactly. You know, that's another way that it has enabled social engineers to utilize the phone call um, because you're getting people, you know, they're not surrounded by any other employees. And so they're, you know- Right. Well, and one of the biggest tips that you gave on the last time you were here, and I just appreciated it so much because it was, I think I've sat through or, you know, done my own research enough for, you know, uh, social engineering training and things like that. Um, but one of the simplest things that you suggested was also one that I hadn't ever heard any, you know, other professional social engineer trainer say, and that was, you know, take a minute, right? Just step away for a minute, give yourself a minute to have some like complex thoughts and just some critical thinking and think, huh, would Gerhardt be calling? Wait, what time is it in Germany? Why would he be calling me at two in the morning. Why would he be, why would the head of the, you know, compliance be asking for this? If you just take it, you know, hey, can I put you on hold for just a moment? Like if it just, if it's anything out of the ordinary, if someone's asking you to do something that is not your typical, just taking a minute and say, all right, I just need a second for critical thinking. I'm going to walk away. And, and yeah, that. Yeah. Or, or, or how about, uh, how about 
can I call you back? Yes, that is the number one thing I tell, especially my elderly family members. Whenever anyone calls you, I don't care if it's from your doctor's office and you recognize the girl's voice on the phone. I don't care. You call them back. And if you have a copay to pay or you have a bill to pay, yep, you call them back on the phone number. That the, yeah, because yes, you can spoof it. Now, granted, if they did a SIM swap, but that's you know harder to do. And I mean, there's always going to be something, right? But there's always going to be something. And of course, now when you say, can I call you back and you get off the phone, now you're going to do a little research on Gerhardt, you know, and you're going to do this. You're going to, you're going to look him up. You're going to blah, blah, blah. You're going to find out some stuff. You know, you're going to see his real phone number on there. You're going to see his company email. You're going to email him on the company email and go, Hey, Gerhardt, did you just call me? I'm in the IT desk here and I just want to verify it. And then Gerhardt, emails back, you know, he either doesn't email back, which he should, because he's just called you. Right. Yeah. And if he doesn't, and obviously then, and then if the real Gerhardt picks it up, he's going to come back on the company email and he's going to say, no, it wasn't me. Good job. You caught that. that Yes. Right. So, you know, those are, those are two simple things right there. You know, you, you say, Hey, let me call you back. And then you, uh, you send out an email in the company email and you say what's going on. You ask for a response and those are, you know, and there are other things that we can do too. You know, we can set up, you know, we can set up a verification process that can change on a daily basis so that employees know, you know, maybe it's a code word, um, that, you know, anybody knows, you, you know, if you got your company email that day, you know, that there's a code word, but you know, again, even something like that. A good social engineer could find out the code word. I mean, it's, it, if I called someone on the IT desk and they and they said, "Oh, Gerhardt, what's your code word?" and I'd go, "Oh, uh, okay, uh, you know, you got me on that one." And then I'd call somebody else. I'd find a way. I'd call an executive and I go, "Hey, Bill, you know, what's the code word today?" Oh, it's it's. I'm uh, you know, I didn't open my email right. Yeah, it's Groundhog. Okay, great. And then I call back to the IT desk, get a different person, and go Groundhog. Right. So even something like that, you know. But the simplest thing is, let me call you back, and then you send an email on. On the company system and you ask for verification. You know, verification is a relatively simple process that you can do safely. And it goes back to what you just brought up, which is the, you got to get people to take a minute, you know, 30 seconds and think about it and just go, wait a second now, does this make sense? This is a very unusual phone call, right? This is unusual. You know, I've never had anybody call me from blah, blah, blah before, or, you know, I've ne- you know, um, you know, or they're asking unusual questions that aren't related to blah, blah, you know, and you, and those things you can train for because you can train the people. You can say, look, this is, this is in your purview of your job. And if you get questions outside of this purview, that's a red flag. And right away, you got to inform somebody or you've got to verify who that person is, maybe both, you know, so that you don't have a situation where somebody has given up this information that creates this cascading, serious, terrible effects for a corporation and for the people that work for a corporation and for the people that are using the products or services of a corporation, you know, everybody, you know, all those people at the hotel, I'm not diminishing. If I were staying at MGM, man, I would have been very upset too. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, in fact, one of the most, you know, probably the most popular uh, annual conference internationally for people in online fraud happens at an MGM uh, property once a year. Uh, So, you know, it's, it's fairly common. And, um, you know, at first that was kind of a joke going around like, man, aren't we glad that didn't happen? Then it was like, wait a second. Um, And I've always had my own concerns about the fact that it's so publicized about where it is and who's there and everything else. But that's, you know, a whole other story. But, um, you know, I think that at the end of the day, it's, you know, also taking a moment to, if you've had one of those phone calls that was weird, letting everyone else in the company know about it. Like, hey, because I'm sure that you have, you know, a second target, a third target, etc. And all of these things are, you know, are just a couple of quick things. That, but I think that they're really good examples of the value you can give companies when, you know, brought in again for pennies on the dollar compared to even, a, you know, one day of having a ransomware take down their system, um, as well as, you know, setting up those processes and making sure that they're verifying things that can't be looked up otherwise. And I think, be- I know, because you've done this in your career, your fir- the first half of your career, uh, for your life for so long, you know exactly, hey, if you ask for verification for this, I could have found that there, or I could have found this there. So no, you have to, maybe it's not code word, but maybe I ask, you know, hey, what color is your, you know, your car next to your parking spot? 
spot in the office or whatever it is that like somebody else couldn't figure out. Not something that they can easily search in the age of information when there's a lot of information out there about everyone. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, I I like to say that what I deliver is a lot of bang for your buck. Yes. (laughs) You are getting serious bang for your buck, especially when you see how much money MGM and C's, I mean, it's exponentially more than any- And all these companies that aren't in the headlines because they pay the the ransoms, but then they keep it going where, yeah, there's more targets. And I'm such a big believer in that. It's similar to like small businesses, right? Like I, you know, probably because I am an independent consultant myself and I strive so much to provide way more value. And I mean, I've had the large consultancies tell me, whoa, you do not charge enough and you, you know, they don't give half for what, you know, whatever. But that's why I'm such a big believer on having people come in who have done the job, who want to go over and above because they will make sure that your audience is paying attention. You know, they'll, because you're an actor, you probably can spot the fourth person from, you know, the right in the back row that's falling asleep and you can, you know, wake them up. Just all those things that, you know, maybe somebody who's a corporate trainer isn't going to have and aren't going to think about. So that's, one of the many reasons why I wanted to make sure to remind my audience that because sometimes it's one thing to say, hey, you know, we should have someone. And the first thing that your your leadership is going to say is, well, do you know anyone? And if you say no, well, oh, okay, well, then we'll just add that to the list, right? Well, now I do. And, um, you know, so that's one of the many reasons. Also, just, you know, for those of us in fraud who just love to learn about different ruses and, and different things. Your book is so good. And I know a lot of my listeners picked it up last time, but uh, for anyone that didn't, I hope that they go grab it. Um, and where's a great place for uh, people to get in touch with you and look you up? You know, I always send people to my website, uh, which is just my name. You know, it's robertkerbeck.com, K-E-R-B-E-C-K. You can obviously buy Ruse on there. You can buy my, my previous books on there. You can see articles I've written. Uh, you can see the trailer for the forthcoming, eventually, When Strikes Get Settled TV series. So yeah, so it's just, you know, robertkerbeck.com is, is the best place for people to go. And then, of course, from there, you can follow me on social media. I love I love to hear from people on whether it's LinkedIn or Instagram. Those are the two platforms I like the best. But yeah, I, you know, I, I respond to everybody. You know, I always tell people if you're looking to pivot into a lucrative new career as a corporate spy, read the book and then reach out and I'll give you my tips on how to do that. Because <laughs> obviously I'm out of that game, you know. Right. Um, I can only imagine that you've had a fair amount of companies, though, asking if you're still in the game after learning how good you were. That was, it's funny, of all the things that have happened with, can I, you know, writing this expose of corporate spying and, and my publisher said it's the first book ever written by a corporate spy, the bo- first expose of corporate spying. I was shocked at how many companies reached out to me and said, Robert, we read your book or Robert, we listened to your book on Audible. Uh, will you, we, we'd love to hire you. And I'm like, but you, I wrote a book, like I outed myself. Like, you right, know, like, right. First of all, part of the book is me letting go of that because I didn't want to do that anymore. And I did not want to be like that anymore. You know, I was like, no, that no. I ethical and moral quandary that you had throughout the book that, yeah, if they really listened to the whole book, they may not have asked you that. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe they only read the first couple of chapters where I'm like making millions spying, right. you know? <laughs> Right. But yeah, I could not believe how many corporations. And and I was like, I like, don't you get it? Like I've crossed over. I'm not going back, you know. Yeah, I for those people who are only driven by money though, I can imagine that, you know, they'd be like, Oh, well, sure I could try it. But you know, there's a lot of us out there that have realized that well, yes, we want to pay our bills and, and live comfortably, that that's not the number one reason that we were put on this earth and uh and isn't the only thing we want to do and making an impact is so much more valuable and fulfilling. And so I, but I can also appreciate that, you know, money is not as easy to be made on the good side, which is another reason why so many of these young kids go to the dark side. You know, a lot of them might want to work in cybersecurity, but they're put, you know, it's a very competitive field or they're put at the lowest ranks and, you know, they're like, well, screw this. I'll just go on the other side. Um, I mean, all of us, you know, the game is sort of rigged in that, you know, if you haven't gone XYZ school, um, you know, you're not going to be given the opportunity. And, you know, so if you're not coming out of, you know, MIT or Harvard or, you know, 
whatever top school that we're not going to, you know, you're not going to get a chance, you know? And so now you're like, well, you know, I was playing too many video games in high school. I was doing whatever in high school, so I didn't get great grades. And so now I'm didn't go to school or I'm at a community college, but man, I'm a whiz with X, Y, Z. And now all of a sudden now you see with these organizations, they're good. They're really good. Absolutely. And a lot of them are recruiting all the time. And yeah, I mean, it's, uh, yeah, it's really honestly a battle of good versus evil out there as much as, you know, we, we believe it, but then we don't want to believe it and think, oh, it's just probably in the movies or something. It really is. And so I think it's so important to highlight those of us who have made the choice to do the right thing and to hopefully, you know, teach other people how to do the right thing and protect themselves and their companies from people, you know, that you used to be like, you know, at one point, like other people used to be like, and they're highly motivated. They don't have to ask for permission. They don't have to ask for budget. They don't have to worry about privacy policies. Like they're going to get into your systems. So especially if you aren't prepared. So I just thank you so much for the generosity of your time and your expertise. It's so fun to talk to you. Uh, as I mentioned, I was, you know, thinking, oh, I'm not going to bug him again and ask him to come on, you know, my, my podcast until, uh, you know, the, the TV show comes out. But then this is just too big of a story to not tie back together to everything that you know, you've done and that you know and that can be helpful. But also, I know because of the writer's strike and the actor strike and everything else that if that hadn't happened, there probably would have been a pretty large announcement um, about a, a drama series coming out based on your book because it, it reads like a, like a movie script or like a TV show. Well, look, I'm so glad you did reach out because I'm so glad I got to do it because it is really, really critically important right now. So, so thank you for, for having me on. Absolutely. Thank you again. And you are welcome anytime. Oh yeah. No, we'll do it again. Thank you again to Spec for sponsoring today's episode. I'm really excited for more online companies to see what's possible with their fraud infrastructure. Spec's Trust Cloud is way more than just another fraud product, and I hope you'll visit www.specprotected. That's s p e c p r o t e c t e d. dot com to learn why.